0: All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it. She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Hannah, if you all would pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this week has been a strange and sad week of memory and of mourning and of loss. Of course, earlier this week, the UK's longest tenured monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, died. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know probably by now um, at age 96 she became queen in 1952. Imagine how different the world was between when she became queen and now. Not when she was born, but when she became queen. The difference in 70 years. Whenever anything happens to the royal family, the world takes note and the west opines and the um, social media and tabloid systems just like go into overdrive, and it feels like this has been a particularly interesting moment where the reactions have been really wide ranging. I don't know if you've noticed this. I was listening to a New York Times podcast this weekend, and there was a soundbite from a British man on an, on the street in UK, and he was distraught. He 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 said something to the effect of. I don't believe in God but I believe in her and I pray to her. Not I pray for her, I pray to her every day. I I love her. I, I'll miss her. It's not hard to see this like semi divine status that she takes up in the imagination of some in her own country. Surprising to me though was like some of the like American friends that I have like on my timeline, and some of the similar sentiments that kind of populated my timeline. Deep expressions of grief and sorrow, an acute sense of loss. But news of her death also triggered, like, another reaction, other emotions and other memory. After all, this was like the top of the org chart of a self-proclaimed empire which had been at the forefront of things like colonialization and enslavement and white supremacy and imperialism, and many of these critiques have been levied even inside of the royal family. Other empires are like far away, like those things happen in black and white, but so holding their leaders accountable is like a historical exercise, but it's a little different with the royal family because we can see them, They're, they live and breathe among us So heavy is the head that wears the crown, particularly because with that crown comes a legacy of oppression. So many of the online expressions taking this into account were really brutal, really cold, Uh, I think, To some extent, they failed to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, which still has to account for all of those things. But if you read between the lines there, there also seems to be a really specific sense of loss that is happening there. Not necessarily a current loss, but a memory of centuries of loss and of theft. Um, Marcy Alvis Walker kind of put her finger on this tension. She said, how do we weep with those who weep when they mourn for those who have caused millions to weep? This is where we meet our humanity and we see both the beauty and the terror and everything in between. Um, She talks about the ungracious post. She says, while I feel these votes are are valid, I've wondered about those of us who are conflicted and find these perspectives that are binary super difficult. She speaks as one of, uh, as a descendant of colonized ancestors. She says, it's difficult to mourn a person who represents a legacy of oppression. She says, all too often we've seen benefactors of colonialism and imperialism become sainted in their deaths, their sins erased, their silence and complicity is spun as virtue and the history they've made is washed and rewritten. She asks, how do we hold space in such a time as this? It's a good question. Similarly today, um, something much closer to home, geographically, politically, culturally, the memory of 9-11, 21 years ago. We're a young congregation, but we're not that young that we don't have some corporate memory of this. The Twin Towers in New York City, the Pentagon being flown into. I remember coming back 21 years ago, back in my day. Uh, I I had an early class my first year of college in Tallahassee, Florida. And I had just been up there for about a month. (laughs) And this was before the world of ubiquitous screens and social media, and so I didn't really rely on my flip phone to get news. But I came in after this class, and on the common TV of my dorm area, there was a smoking tower. No one knew what was going on. This was all way too much for an 18-year-old. That day, especially reflecting back on it, that day I lost, along with the rest of us, like an illusion, and maybe it was never even close to real in the first place, but there was an illusion and a feeling of safety and innocence in this world. It hadn't occurred to me as a suburban college kid that... Someone would hate me, us, all of us, that much. Many others lost even more than just this illusion. They lost family members. They lost friends. New Yorkers lost the center of their city. At the time, I also didn't understand how this would change the world. Like many have commented that this was like a turning point in our country or world. There was pre-9-11, there was post-9-11, like akin to like Pearl Harbor or the Cuban Missile Crisis or something like that. No turning back cultural moment. That changed a lot of things. Changed the way you get on an airplane. Believe it or not, you didn't have to do a whole lot to get on an airplane. You didn't even have to show an ID, right? Changed the security and the surveillance that we expect. or don't expect from our government, the way that we view our Muslim neighbors, um, actually the way we view all sorts of people and who is an insider, who is an outsider, who is a threat and what we should do to guard against and eliminate threats. It seems to me there's not a whole lot of self-examination individually, corporately um, in the wake of those attacks. It seems we just lost too much, that was the feeling. In the wake of great loss, all sorts of things can be justified. No one likes to lose. We can't let that happen again. Flash forward several decades now, and it's no wonder we find ourselves in this zero-sum world, hostile, where, like, not losing is more important sometimes even than winning. We certainly just, like, focus on that more than things like peace and justice and mutual flourishing. You do anything not to lose and you wind up making some pretty grotesque choices. In our gospel story today, we find Jesus sitting and eating with losers. People who experience loss, people who make a lot of concessions, trader tax collectors and sinners who either couldn't get their acts straight or just didn't want to. <laughs> the, the, the The phrase, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, we might get it lost these days. That sounds like a good thing and Jesus is doing his Jesus job, but that was not a congratulatory statement. That was like, Maybe a foreshadow or akin to the sign that would later hang above his head on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, right? It was a slur. This sort of behavior was problematic. Those sorts of people were problematic. I think it's because they represented a sort of loss, A loss for the Pharisees, for the legal experts, or at least a threat of a loss. Sometimes the threat of a loss is more powerful than an actual loss. They might be thinking, where are the standards, Jesus? We used to be a proper worshiping community. Are you seriously going to choose them over us? We deserve your time. We deserve your attention. We're about the serious business of being God's people chosen. We're God's winners. So Jesus laid out one of those complicated memoranda of understanding when every line starts with whereas, just to clear things up for them. No, Jesus did not do that. There was no slideshow. There was no memo memo of understanding. No, Jesus told a story to bring them into God's story. He started with Suppose someone among you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Suppose someone among you. It's a classic setup to a well known story. This is the first of an incredible trilogy of stories that has not been topped, even though we have things like Indiana Jones and Back to the Future. This is an amazing trilogy story. We all know how it goes. Well, we have some of our youth in today, so spoiler alert if you don't know how it goes. He, leads, he leaves the 99 to find one. There's, there's, great in, there's great rejoicing that ensues from this. The quote says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes heart in life, that is, repents, than 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. This loser shepherd this loser becomes a finder and then a celebrator that's the logical flow of the story a loser becomes a finder becomes a celebrator the next story that Anna read maybe even more scandalous than this first one Um, and certainly more than we read it now we just hear a, a story about a woman but that the protagonist in this story is a woman is a big deal uh, uh, even though she, she may not present as, um, as having it super together, she's forgetful, she loses things. She may have been a hoarder, maybe that was so, why it was so hard to find this coin, right? There are all these details that we can imagine around and ask wondering questions about. She seems to have ten coins and she misplaces one and tears the whole home apart. She gets on her knees on the dirt floor to look for this tithe money, 10% of what she's got. She, too, is a loser until she's a finder. And then she becomes a celebrator. And then, we didn't read it this morning, but he goes on to tell a story of a father and two sons. Go read that this week. Take a look into that outline, loser, finder, celebrator. See who embodies the paradigm and who disrupts or threatens that paradigm. What's strange about this weird, quirky paradigm that Jesus is setting up, I think, is that when Jesus opens with, suppose someone among you, I think he's being specific to them. I I think... Before he's being general and say, saying, like, fill in the blank this person, I think that suppose someone among you, he's pointing to God. He's supposing that someone among you is God among us. He, he might even be supposing that is himself. He's pointing to himself. But here's the hitch. This is the same hitch that made them despise Jesus' dinner practices. This means that before God is a finder, before God is a celebrator, those are things that they want God to be, before those things, that means that God is a loser. This, like, can't be. In our imaginations and their imaginations, say it ain't so. God is a loser. God is one who loses things. So many theologies then and now are just completely about guarding against that sentence right there. To to protect God from this claim, there are so many like philosophical and theological cartwheels that get turned in order to never have to meet God in a place of loss. That reckless song that we sing today is one of the songs in like a canon of modern worship that gets like massive backlash because it talks about God's love as risky and base. We must ensure at all costs that God never takes an L, is kind of the logic here. But then when we find ourselves in a place of loss or with a threat of losing, we protect and we whitewash and we circle the wagons. We'd rather go to war than to confession or to therapy, (laughs) is what happens. All because we assume that God doesn't like or hang out with losers. That God doesn't lose things. But here's the good news. God is a loser. Jesus shows us that. In his life, with his words, in the ultimate expression of his divine humanity, losing his life on the cross of Calvary. Frederick Buechner asks us to remember this Jesus of Nazareth staggering on broken feet out of the tomb towards the resurrection, bearing on his body the proud insignia of the defeat which is victory, the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. Because it's only in becoming a loser that we, with God, become finders. It's only in losing our lives that we find them in God and are found by God. It's only in abandoning outcomes or re-examining our roles and complicity that we can be freed for abundant life. And I must say, sometimes this new and abundant life doesn't seem like it's all that it's cracked up to be. It's not like you just have to be vulnerable once and then you get to harden and secure yourself around it. I actually find it is utterly scary to have to broadcast my failure the way each of these people in these stories do. This shepherd, (laughs) this guy, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, right? And that's also a moniker reserved for the God of Israel. And he seems to be showing off some pretty shoddy shepherding practices. All those left sheep are vulnerable to predator and they're prone to wander. When it comes to the woman in the coin, I think back to a gift that I received from my uncle, a 1995 Sugar Bowl hat pen, right? University of Florida lost, yes, to Florida State University, 23 to 17 in the fifth quarter in the French Quarter, and I proceeded to take that hat pin to school, just like my mom said I shouldn't because I'd lose it, and then, of course, I lost it. That remained a secret until this day, right now. <laughs> there was <laughs> zero way I was going to broadcast that. Why would I tell them that, I, even as I was tearing apart my room to find it, why would I tell people that I was doing that? Why? Why would I... Be proud of that. There was so much shame in the losing. But Jesus opens up a new world for us where the losing and the finding are not sources. They're not sites of shame. They're places to meet God, to be met by God, to work with God. Jesus's brand of shepherding isn't irresponsible, it's not reckless, it's not haphazard, it's, it's good shepherd shepherding, actually. It's, it's a new brand of responsive and deeply committed care that won't settle for like, things that they teach you in economics class, like shrinkage and marginal loss. Every single one is precious to Jesus. There's a new logic there. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without God taking notice. Every loss is a setup for being found. Robert Capon talks about the ends of all these stories. He says, each ends with a celebration. It's a calling together of friends and neighbors. It's a rude interruption, mind you, of whatever laundering or housekeeping or bookkeeping or gardening they may have thought constituted their lives for a whole afternoon of wine, roses, and laughs. And why? Because the hilarious constitution of the universe turns out that what makes history come out in triumph is some dumb sheep that couldn't find its way home. That's why the party happens, because loss happens, because finding happens, and celebration can't happen. So take heart. If you come here this morning and you feel like some dumb sheep, <laughs> welcome home. Take heart. Also, if most of your life feels like gathering sheep, herding cats that don't want to be gathered, there's rest here. <laughs> you're, you're doing great. And... Strike up the band. Call the neighbors. Kill the fatted calf. Heaven is rejoicing when lost things get found. No shame in that game. Jesus wants us to enter this unguarded world of celebrating with the God who loses, who finds, who who celebrates. you all pray with me? God, we give you thanks for the ways that we come to know you better by looking at and hearing from Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to fear loss. We don't have to do all those things. um, Fight or flight or all the different mechanisms that make us avoid losing. Uh, We thank you for... Uh, This world that is wild and hilarious and strange. We ask that you equip us together to uh, be in that world with you. And we thank you for being with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.